0: show business when there's no business podcast is a survivor's guide to navigating the business of show business especially in light of current events such as covid19 the black lives matter movement and much much more as a musical theater performer who is interested in business i interview industry professionals to talk about the business side of the industry and get their stories advice and hopes for the future of theater and entertainment Hey guys, welcome to part two of my interview with Ray Sylvester. Ray is super knowledgeable about the music industry, but he's also a really great person to have a conversation with about diversity and inclusion. While we were talking about the music industry, we also started talking about issues of race and privilege today, and I thought it was really important to share. So that's why I cut this interview into two parts. I hope Ray's perspective on these issues and how it is informed by his diverse background and also his personal faith in Christianity gives you new insight into issues of today, just like it did for me. So in part one of our conversation, we left off discussing your thoughts on Blackout Tuesday and how it's important to recognize and research the groups who might be disadvantaged in the music industry and in life and how important it is to lift those voices up and not silence them. And I think one of the main benefits that has come from this and just from current events in general are hard conversations where people really take a deep look at themselves and how the systems work.
1: Yes, I think you touch upon something that is fundamentally at the core of all of this is can you have a productive exchange and relationship with someone who has a different perspective? That's the question. Right.
0: And, and I think that 's something that you really try um, to do, right, because not only are you a professor of personal branding, but you 've also started doing webinars for Anderson University on diversity and inclusion.
1: I decided to do that free webinar um, last month and was blessed with over two hundred people registering, some people from um, the Far East, Asian countries, some people europe u k and the US. So I was incredibly humble, but it also showed me that there was an incredible responsibility to make sure that I convened a discussion or a presentation and discussion that was fair. And that's what I tried to do. And it's really difficult because in this environment, we have this juxtaposition where both sides say we're right and the other's wrong. Um, I can't see how we productively move forward by continuing to do that because all it means is you ignore someone or devalue someone Go back to browning. It's the exchange of value. If you don't engage with another productively, um, there is a problem.
0: I think something that informs your unique perspective on racism and division is the fact that you are, and you refer to yourself as this, um, but you are a biracial black male from England living in the U.S. Um, Would you mind sharing your perspective on that?
1: I'm loving this conversation because progressively we're pulling more and more onion skins back on me. So, yes, apart from being a black male, I'm a biracial black male. Um, um, but the term biracial doesn't exist in, in the UK. So you would normally be someone of mixed racial identity or you would just be black. Um, I'm pretty sure um, that in most environments I would be interpreted as a black male because um, I have a, a biological fusion of a white mother and a black father, but I also have a biographical fusion from those two parents because I've been blessed to have both of them in my life, all my life, and speak to them very frequently, week by week, uh, which reminds me I need to call my mother this afternoon. Um, So I have a unique fusion of that. So I'm a black male who's comfortable in the fact that I have black and and white blood running through my veins. Um, but I am a black male. I've experienced being a black male. That's the only self I know in this world. But my biology is factually one that is of two um, racial identities. And race is a, man, a man, man's construct. Um, and actually ninety nine point nine 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 one percent reoccurring. We're all the same. So, but the world is divided by something that makes us seem far apart. I'm more interested in the social, cultural, and economic consequence of that division. So when you articulate the division in America, one of the narratives that's an uncomfortable truth, some people call it the the original sin, is that America has a very complex background. And from my assessment of economics and culture and everything else, is that America has benefited from... um, unfortunately, the misuse of people groups. So um, there were more millionaires per capita in those southern region states than anywhere else. And actually, civil war was as much to do with economics than it was to do with anything else. But the legacy of that means that to redress the economic challenge of freeing slaves, Jim Crow came in, which oppressed uh, black community to the point that they couldn't live in certain areas they couldn't work in certain areas they didn't have the same educational rights it took until the 1950s before educational law went through the supreme courts to give people the same quality of education so you can go through a history profile of that but what i've recognized in 2020 is i can speak about all of that stuff as a black man but what does it do to repair the damage and to someone who doesn't come from that background. It's challenging. And again, I try to fuse that with American pragmatist culture. And if you're a pragmatist, but you don't want to accept some of the inequality that's happened through history, it doesn't add up. Because if we all get treated badly, we all then receive uh, the same experience. We all are all equally disadvantaged. So there's a concept, and I don't know if you've seen this, and your listeners can look this up, the difference between equality and equity, So um, there's a a, a very clever and infamous cartoon with this where you've got a little kid, smaller kid, and a larger kid or an adult. And equality looks like they're all standing on a box looking into a sports stadium. Well, effectively, I think that the little kid still cannot see it and the middle kid can just barely see over. Um, But the taller kid doesn't need it. So equity is when the taller child puts their box on top of the smallest kid's box and they can see over the fence and look into the stadium. So can the middle kid and so can tall one because they don't need the step. Now there is the challenge as I've seen in American history because when you start to touch and talk about equity, it makes people feel really vulnerable. And that's because of the dynamic of the American market system and the way in which things are done. Why is someone going to get something uh, because of disadvantage? And that's why You know, the mask, no mask, welfare, no welfare, it gets very complex. But the consequences of um, treating people differently, you know, they're they're evident. Um, The number one people group in America dying of COVID right now, Native Americans. The number one group in America with the highest incidence of um, suicide amongst their young people, Native Americans. That is not a coincidence to me that is a condition that has been born out of being treated and forcibly moved around and devalued as a people group. And when you're devalued to the extent that you start believing it, it's a very scary place. Young people, they're, they, they don't have any value for themselves. And as I just shared in the statistics, they literally are killing themselves. Tragic, tragic. You know, when you get to that point, then all of a sudden you're fighting for your survival. So this is a really deep, Anthropological, sociological, psychological, theological aspect. Um, as a Christian, I feel that I'm I'm called to reach out and in any which way support those people that are less blessed um, than I am. And, and I, will, I speak a couple of times a month to ex-offenders, and I think that I get more out of it than they do. I truly do it because I think that's part of what I think is important. Um, the music industry the entertainment industry is about sharing your value and your gift with another so that they can appreciate it. And I think that's the core of life really. Sorry, we went a bit deep there.
0: No, I, I love, I feel like it's very hard to not go deep with you because you are so open and willing and vulnerable um, to have these complex and hard conversations And that's something that I have always appreciated about you and appreciated about your classes when I was in them. Do you think that because of your diverse backgrounds, not only being a biracial man, but coming from England here to America, do you think that that background makes it easier for you to have these kinds of conversations?
1: I think that's a great question. I think we can only share what we have inside ourselves, what we've experienced. So um, coming from the UK, coming from a diverse background, my wife is also quite diverse. She's got um, African heritage, her father's from Nigeria, her mother's English. So our kids are just a little rainbow nation of nuances. So, you know, we have food and and cultural aspects that emanate from um, three different uh, country bases but four different interpretations of that because whiteness is not homogenous. It has its own inferences. So her family on her mother's side come from a different area than my mother comes from. So they're different as well. And when you get that collective difference, I think you get more comfortable with difference. So yes, um, if I walk into a room and I happen to be the only person of color, it's not something that bothers me because it's something I'm used to. But I, I often say this to people. If you're listening to this podcast and you're white, what would it look like if you took a job in a company and everyone you worked with was different from you? Everyone was Latinx. You would have to adjust. It would be impossible for you not to notice it. And I think sometimes because people haven't been exposed to that, they find themselves not appreciating that. The other difficult thing for me is that when I came to America, there are a number of people in the UK that thought, um, I think I was going to some big public university or I was going to definitely at least go to something like a historically black college. Um, and as much as I'd like to visit a historically black college, um, it hasn't happened. I've been invited to one, but we haven't worked it out yet is I've got love for all of me. And that means that when I look at my white brothers and sisters, and I look at the fact that God brought me to a small um, predominantly white Christian college in the middle of Indiana and, um, that I have to be honoring to that, that if God's put me here, then he doesn't make mistakes. Perhaps he wants me to have awkward conversations.
0: Yeah. um, And I know you and I have kind of had some conversations about um, white privilege and privilege in general. And I know, I think, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you've kind of said in the past that maybe being here in America, your English accent gives you a slight privilege um, over maybe somebody that is black and does not have an English accent.
1: So there's a lot of heat around the term privilege. So we've gone there, so I might as well follow through. Um, I would agree, Kayla, yes, um, without a doubt. Privilege to me is access. Um, So um, in Indianapolis, There was a movement of African-Americans from the South, and Indianapolis has a history. You can go back to the history of the development of Indianapolis, and there were areas that were redlined. And if you or your your listener audience are listening to this, redlining basically meant that that's the only place that African-Americans could live. So that meant that access to living in all areas wasn't given to them. Um, And that would then mean, in 2020, when we talk about privilege, privilege is really about access. Um, People hear privilege, and if someone is a very hardworking white conservative Christian, they get offended by it. But they shouldn't get offended by it when they temper it through the fact that if you've been able to get access to things, not by virtue of your hard work, but just by virtue of you just being you, and someone else doesn't get access by virtue of just being them, that's very sad in my opinion. So when I came to America, I learned that my dulcet English tone, my personality, the way I express myself to many African-Americans is effectively white because as soon as they hear me, it's like, well, he's a white guy. Um, And then when they get to know me, then they go, okay, well, he's not a white guy. He's just himself, but he sounds like a white guy. Equally, when I'm in environments where I'm not speaking, I've witnessed and experienced the very subtle nuances, and they are very subtle nuances, of people that might be white and not sure who I am, and I've guessed they would assumed I'm African-American, and I've seen sometimes the cold or innocuous behavior, the nonverbal cues, but the moment I speak, Kayla, you see them come alive. It's like someone's just plugged in a new energy source, and all of a sudden they're asking me about Great Britain, the royal family, cups of tea, because now they've got a segue to have a conversation with me. What's happened is my voice, my accent has given me access to them. So privilege is about access. I want everyone to hear that. Access is the aspect that we're talking about here.
0: How would you uh, advise someone to go about having these hard conversations with people who maybe are not as open to do so as you are?
1: Um, again a a tough question a good question I think um, culture I've mentioned it before is really important the way we do things every day our habits um, are really difficult to change so I think you're talking about the relationship of the American growth and evolution Um, it's independence 4th of July from the UK um, it's civil wars it's social unrest it's got a rich history, and what that's done is created um, difficult situations where I'd say the elephant is in the room. And what I found is it's very difficult to get people to comfortably talk to another when they've been conditioned to be suspicious. So I'm amazed that um, many of my white conservative friends um, will say, "Oh, I, I listen to African Americans. I've listened to Candice Owens, So they, they, they. They're, they're, orientated towards listening to someone who's going to tell them what they want to hear. Um, What I want people to do is to be comfortable with spending time engaging with people or listening to perspectives that they don't like. So council culture or fake news has evolved and basically what it means is I don't listen to or I don't engage in what I don't like. So in this conversation if someone's heard something I've said they've not liked it they may not be currently listening to us right now Kate and actually the learning curve is being able to be open to everything and attached to nothing to the point where you can get new insight from someone and here's the thing I'm not asking you to agree with me I'm asking you just to spend a little time listening to a perspective that might be different from your own
0: absolutely and I think that's so important to just learn, even if you don't end up changing your mind um, from someone else's perspective. I think it's always beneficial um, to know what the other perspectives are.
1: Yes, but it's so difficult to get to the point where people want to do that. I mean, you can have a school teacher who's taught for 20 years, um, the same subject in the same way for 20 years. So it's the same thing each year for 20 years. Or you can have a school teacher that teaches the subject every year in the context that it needs to be delivered in that year related to the needs and the wants of the pupils in the classroom and based upon the context of the real world around us.
0: Yeah, um, I I think this conversation has been really great to have. And thank you for bringing up, you know, hard topics. I appreciate it. And I know that um, everybody that has taken your classes at AU have also appreciated the perspectives that you bring up and it's just it's nice to be able to have these kinds of conversations.
1: I, I, I know we call it to an end but one thing I would say is um, you represent a generation that's different um, because you're part of the information age and by, ge- by definition you want to draw in as much information as possible and I think there's a tension if you look at in crude terms the baby boomers that were kind of born post-45 up to the mid-60s and the Gen Xs that were born up to sort of 1979, and I fall into that bracket. And then you've got the kind of early millennials and the early 80s. And then you've got, you know, your Gen Zs and others. Um, what you're seeing progressively is a change. And the working community is increasingly becoming millennial-based. Baby boomers came from a tradition of you do what you're told to do, Um And you see that tension evidently in society. So we are seeing some changes happening, uh, and definitely some people are more comfortable with dialogue than others. Um, But what I have discovered is, and we talked about it earlier, is that when you really persevere, most people want to have a conversation. I think what it is is the initial reaction. If they hear a tone or they hear a, a focus on something that's against them, then we get defensive and that stops the ability to talk. Um, Brenny Brown is someone I'm a big fan of. She talks a lot about vulnerability. And um, vulnerability is the key to be open and honest. That's not to say that everyone's going to like what you say, but at least if you've shared your truth um, and another can share their truth, you've had an exchange.
0: Yeah, and I think having exchanges are going to be even more important um, in the coming months and years as we navigate the current climate of COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement and um, other movements like it.
1: Awesome. No, I agree. I agree. It's been a pleasure to um, um, spend some time talking about these subjects and I hope your, um, your listener base appreciate all the work you're doing.
0: Thank you. and Thank you so much for being here. I Really appreciate you taking time out of your Friday afternoon uh, to talk to me about the music industry and um, the current climate of the world. Um, So thanks for being here, Ray.
1: No problem. Take care. Bye for now.
0: You too. If you liked the conversation with Ray Sylvester today, you'll definitely want to check out his second free webinar about diversity and inclusion through Anderson University. You can find the link to sign up on Ray's LinkedIn at Ray Sylvester or go to any of my social profiles where I'm promoting this episode. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Show Business, When There's No Business. If you liked this week's episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and give us a rating so that it will help others find us too. And of course, be sure to tune in next week. Talk to you soon.